I wanted to do something a little bit special today. I wanted to talk about thankfulness. Um, but I invited some members of our body to help me. So instead of having me talk for 40 or 50 minutes, um, I asked uh, four different people to um, share for about 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes, um, from the Word about thankfulness, about what God is teaching them about thankfulness. And um, so it's going to be kind of like a uh, church TED Talk day. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to have Spencer come up and start us off. Uh, and Spencer, uh, when you're done, will you uh, introduce our next speaker? They're, they're all right here. <laughs> Do I know them? <laughs> they're, they're in order. Cool. Uh, good morning. Did everybody have a good week? Thanksgiving, yeah? Um, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. I was telling Jonathan this morning, um, when I'm asked to think about what I'm thankful for, um, in one sense, I get encouraged because I see all the things that I have been given, have been blessed with, have um, access to, and it's all um, so much. And then in another sense, when I look at being thankful for things, um, I get depressed because it shows me all the things that I take for granted, all the things that I um, should be thankful for but am not thankful for on a regular basis. Um, my wife and I have been married for seven years, eight coming up this spring. And, um, for the most part, our marriage has been awesome. Like there's hard discussions that we've had. There have been things that, um, you know, are surprises when you're before you're married, you're like, this is going to be awesome. Every day is going to be the best day ever. And then you're like, whoa, this wasn't what I thought. You don't like all the things I like? That's weird. Um, but besides the relationship that we have and that being um, a blessing, we've kind of been on this adventure. And um, five months after we got married, um, our apartment caught fire in the middle of the night and we escaped in the middle of the night from our apartment burning down. And um, we had an iPhone, we had two pairs of my pants, and one of my shirts. My wife was wearing the shirt and the pants, I was just wearing the pants. And that's what we had. And um, we weren't uh, overwhelmed with grief, we weren't um, worried. Um, but what we saw was God provide everything and anything that we needed through the uh, people around us through even our community. And I'm like, wow, we'd really be thankful for that. Um, our boys, if you've seen the two little toddlers with crazy amounts of hair, um, those are ours. And um, my wife and I, we tried to have kids for a few years and it just wasn't happening. The doctors were saying there's nothing wrong, just continue to try. And um, so uh, through this little journey, we ended up adopting um, 
our sons, and we did it through a process called embryo adoption. So my wife was able to carry and birth her adopted children, and that's super cool, and we're very thankful for that. Um, and then just recently, less than two years ago, um, since I was 16, I've kind of been on this trajectory of being like youth pastor. That's what I want to be. That's what I went to school for. I interned for it and put eight to 10 years of my life into that. And uh, there came a point where we were just praying for um, an opportunity, uh, something else, just a different um, avenue for us to take. And God dropped something in our lap we started our own business. It's been super great. Um, just seems like it has a lot of favor from the Lord in many areas, and that's super cool. And, okay, I can be thankful for that. Um, and these are all physical, material things. And as I was looking through all these things, I'm like, man, I take all of this for granted so much. I forget all of this stuff. And then I started thinking about what about, you know, the spiritual things that I take for granted, you know, grace, salvation, the things that I'm given forgiveness on a daily basis from the Lord. I started feeling like a worm. You're just like, man, I am just a terrible person. I should be so thankful. I need to be so thankful. Um, in the book of Hebrews, not the verse that we're going to look at, the author says, because of the relationship that we've been given with God, we can come boldly to his throne. Um, and that throne is one of grace. Um, but the verse that we're going to look at is Hebrews 12, chapter, sorry, chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, in my life, our marriage, our life has kind of been uh, the screenplay of it. It's kind of been a comedy, like, oh, this terrible thing's happened, but then this good thing happens. Oh, another difficult situation arises. And then by the end of it, we're laughing because everything was taken care of. But I know for some people, their life isn't a comedy, it's a tragedy. And you know, what about those people? What about, you know, I did something to my back last week and now I'm feeling better, but what about the people whose back isn't better? What about the people who have cancer? What about the people who weren't able to have kids and were never able to adopt? What about those people? What can they be thankful for? And the truth is our God has given us a kingdom that um, even though these trials and terrible things into our life, we can still have the same heart of thankfulness and gratitude because our God never changes. That's part of who he is. He's immutable. He's never going to change who he is. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't have a bad mood. And so when we are looking at our lives, we can fall back on whether we're thankful or just feeling unthankful. We can fall back on, you know, our God is so good. It doesn't matter if life is going well. It doesn't matter if I'm having a good day. I can always be thankful for who he is because his kingdom that he has given us, his kingdom that he is setting up for us will not be moved. It will not be moved. Um, 
And as we were just saying there, I was thinking of this other verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If my Bible would stop messing around. Um, fine, I'll use a different app. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, I think. So this will be in the ESV. Um, This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You know, we um, historically, Christians as a family have um, just been through hell, you know, being persecuted and the uh, trials that we face. But through that history, there are just these beacons of light, these stories of people making it through um, because of who Jesus is. And all these terrible things can happen to us, but we are not crushed, we are not destroyed. And uh, I think that's something that when it boils down to what I am thankful for, yeah, I can be thankful for having a car that runs, but one day it's not going to run. I can be thankful for, um, I was going to say obedient children, but that day hasn't come yet. Um, uh, I can be thankful for my home, but one day that home could burn down. Um, But the things that will not change, the things that... um, continue that are a constant in my life that cannot be crushed, that cannot be destroyed are the things that uh, the Lord has given me um, because of who he is. And so I would just encourage you guys um, this morning as we hear from a few other people, keep that in perspective of the the things that we're going to hear aren't just, you know, what Brian says or what John says or what Sarah says, but the things that God says, the things that who he is, Um, and so keeping that heart of thankfulness, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what the day looks like, even no matter what our mood looks like, when we're having a bad day, we can still rest in the fact that we can be thankful because of who God is. Uh, Sarah is going to come up and share with us, uh, from first Thessalonians chapter five. If you guys want to turn your Bibles there. So Zach told me I only had 10 minutes. I went through this a lot at home in front of my cat, and she fell asleep, so <laughs> I can't really get much worse, right? First um, Thessalonians 5.18 was where I was at. It's kind of where God led me to. And it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's the New King James Version. And I don't know how you feel, but the word everything for me is a scary word because it's all-inclusive. It doesn't leave anything out. It doesn't just say, in happy times, give thanks. Or when your car is running and your house isn't burning down, give thanks. And we should. But it also means to give thanks in situations that aren't so great, in times that are painful or costly or hurtful or inconvenient. And speaking for myself, times that are painful or costly or hurtful, 
I can handle those because there's usually some hidden gem that I can kind of cling to, but inconvenient just seems kind of pointless. So my go-to response when I'm inconvenienced is not to be thankful. And thankfully, it's not to complain because that would be bad. I just vent, which is far better. Except that venting is really just sitting you down and telling you why I'm angry and that I'm angry and why I'm justified in being angry. And you will agree with me whether you agree with me or not, even though you have nothing to do with why I'm angry in the first place. So not much better than that. And that's a lesson I'm kind of still learning. So um, that kind of depressed me. So I looked for context in the rest of the verses. And I went back to verse 12. And Paul gives this list of things to the people who live in the area for which this book is based. And no, I cannot pronounce it. Um, And I'm not going to read it word for word. I just want to pull out of this list everything that he says. He says to recognize those over you who admonish you. Um, Admonish is another word for rebuke, scold, or chastise. And esteem them highly in love. Not something I do easily. Be at peace with or among yourselves. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil. And always pursue what is good. And when I read that list, I thought, that is one huge job description. Um, I found out about 10 minutes before I started studying, we're hiring again in Reno, um, speaking of inconvenience. And so I talked with my coworker. We made a job description. How do we accurately define what we're expecting these people to do? And then I read these verses, and I thought, okay, what if instead of posting storage duties, we posted that list of just eight things? How many people would apply for that? And would I apply for that? And if I got that job, would I be thankful for it? And the answer is absolutely a resounding no. It's not like I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, goody, goody gumdrops. Today, I get to, you know, be at peace with everybody. And I get to spend my precious time upholding the week. And I get to be patient with everybody. And that just doesn't happen. And especially the patient part, because, you know, I'm not patient when people aren't around I just I ordered a few things on Amazon this week, and my computer knows that I am not patient when people are not around. Um, and so when they are around, I am much, 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 much worse. And so I look at that list, and I think, you know, this should be part of my every day. This isn't just something I, I do when I'm reading that in my devotional. So how do I do that? And then rejoice always, and in everything give thanks. And I think the answer is hidden in verse 16, where Paul says to pray without ceasing. Because to be honest, when my mind is focused on Christ and all that he does for me and all that he's done for me, I find I have less to complain about and more to be thankful for. And I think of a turning point in um, my life when it comes to thankfulness. Um, There's really just a, a day I could point to. I wish I had written the date, but I didn't. See, part of my job, uh, my bosses live in Boise, and they have a house up here, and I help them when they come up here to get their cars from the facility where we store them to this prearranged meeting area where they pick the cars up. And it takes about an hour to do both cars. The, the spot's about 15, 20 minutes away from the facility, and so with another person, it takes about an hour. And fortunately for me, I had an incredible person, we'll call her Michelle, And she worked for the Osbournes too, just not for Keylock, but she was my friend and she could help out and we could get these cars up to the the spot where they're supposed to be just without speaking to each other. It was like it was choreographed. It was awesome. And on the day in question, which was a Sunday, um, which is rare, 
they, um, I told her, okay, Michelle, we're going to be more limited in time than normal because I've got church this morning, so I will race here from church, and if we go quickly, we might just make it. And about halfway through church, I get a text, and being a heathen, I kind of checked it, and it was from Michelle, and it said, hey, sorry, I mixed up the date, and I'm actually out of town, so I can't help you today. Good luck. Smiley face. I thought, I'm not smiling. This is a mess. And so after the, the message was done, I kind of sneaked out the side door. And uh, sorry to the praise team in retrospect, because I left just as you got up there. And um, raised to the facility. I made a couple phone calls. Nothing comes up on it. By the time I got to the facility, I knew I'm doing this on my own, and that's bad. So I jump out of my car. I jump into one of their cars. And uh, I decided to kind of be useful and check the strength of the hinges on the door by closing it rather forcefully behind me. I'll let you decide if that's true. And uh, turn the key, nothing happens. And for me, this is now a bigger crisis because I do not own the kind of car that they own. I know nothing about the kind of car that they own. I'm not going to get it started. So I jump out of the car, check the strength of the hinges again, get into the other car, race up to where I'm supposed to be. And in the 10, 15 minutes that it took me to get there, if windshields had ears, it would not think I was a thankful person. It would probably think more that she really knows how to vent. She's got that part down. So I press on my bike out of the back of the car, and now I'm just playing in a bad mood because I'm still, no matter what I do, I've just, I've failed. And I start riding home, and I really felt God speak to me and say, okay, tell me what went right. What do you have to be thankful for in this situation? I'm like, Lord, nothing. This is a disaster. It's a crisis. And it, well, it's not raining, so thank you that it's not raining. And I have a bike, so thank you that I have a bike. And I have shoes, you know, the pedals are kind of pokey and that would hurt. So thank you that I have shoes. And I started what I would later learn was a 45-minute prayer of just listing out thing after thing after thing that I had to be thankful for. You know, thanks that I have a phone and that it was on so I knew this was happening. And thanks that there's traffic lights so that I don't get run over. And I found out by the time I got back to my car, I had run out of distance to go, but I hadn't run out of things to be thankful for yet. And I think it, it was a, a prayer that I remember well, but maybe that's what praying without ceasing looks like, is being so focused on Christ that you don't really care about the things that aren't going right. And yes, there's still going to be bad days, but it puts those bad things in perspective. Looking back, I had more to be thankful for by leaps and bounds than I had to not be thankful for. I think when God presents me with inconvenient situations, if I would stop complaining long enough to see his hand in it, I think my perspective would switch, and I think I could see more of what God wants for me. And that is the catastrophic car crisis story. And I don't know who's next, because now I can't find the list. Oh, uh, John's next. Hi, John. All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Jonathan Lynch, for those that don't know me. Uh, just a little something about me for work. I do training and different things that way. So being up in front of people and naturally creating slides for people to look at is kind of a natural tendency for me. So that's exactly what I did here. 
So the verse for today is 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 12. If you want to go ahead and turn there, then we'll take a look at it. All right. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. So when I was asked to talk about thankfulness, naturally three words come to mind for me. And they are thankfulness, joy, and contentment. And the way my brain works, very linear line, and I find it fascinating when you kind of play on the definitions of the word, you kind of get a progression. So if you look at thankfulness, it's pleased slash relieved. So that's kind of the initial thought. And the basic necessities met, i.e. clothing and food, like we talked about in the verses there. Then you kind of move to the next step, which is joy. Definition, feeling great pleasure and happiness. So now you've kind of moved to a different level. Instead of just the basic thankfulness, oh, I have food, I have clothing. Now we move to another level, which is joy. And it's an eternal perspective. It's listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So it's kind of a cool thing that through the work of the Spirit, joy becomes part of our lives. Then the last piece being contentment. Definition, peaceful happiness. So if you take peacefulness, it's a lack of worry. Taking all that aside, you have a lack of worry, which then creates even more happiness. So that's why I have the last piece there. Contentment is a component of godliness. If you look at our verse, verse 6, it's a, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So there's a gain in godliness through the work of contentment. Now the Situation is interesting because if you look at it and think about it, we can't do that on our own. I know as a society, we want to say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can figure this all out. You can find that joy. You can find that peace that you're looking for. But ultimately, the peace comes from Christ. And so as you look through that progression of thankfulness, joy, and contentment, I think of it as salvation, which basically meets the simple, easy need that we have. We have one simple need, and that's salvation. So thankfulness, that being that peace. So we have something that we ultimately can always be thankful for, and that's our salvation through Christ. Then you move to joy, the eternal perspective, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. So you're going through the process of sanctification. Then ultimately, contentment is when we see our Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face, and you have that ultimate peaceful happiness. So I thought that was pretty cool, just kind of thinking through that process. Now you get a little perspective of how my brain works. 
But as I kind of thought about this and how it applies to my life, it's really cool to look back over how God has brought us along as a family. Alyssa and I got married. We moved to Moses Lake. If anybody's been to Moses Lake, Washington, there's not a lot there. If you uh, don't have a boat or some sort of uh, ATV or something. So we spent a year there and then we moved to Mount Vernon, which is about an hour north of Seattle. And through process, one of the reasons why I was able to make that move very easily is because my boss in Moses Lake ended up getting fired. Another boss came in and he moved over before I did. So as soon as a position opened up over there, he said, why don't you come on over? So I moved over there. Then we spent about three years there and then God was calling us to Portland. And in order for us to go to Portland, I had to take a hit to my ego because I was going to go down to Portland for basically a demotion. So it wasn't a promotion. It was a demotion to move down to Portland for my job. So that was kind of a hit there. But we felt that God was calling us, so we went to Portland. Then we spent three years there. And while being in the church there, we were part of a church plant. So the church that we were going to was planning on doing a church plant. And then that actually fell through. And through that process of just kind of all those different things that kind of went along, my work, I was able to get an actual promotion while I was there in Portland. And what was interesting about that is I had applied for a handful of different promotions. And there was actually one here in the Spokane area that happened to be posted while I was on vacation, so I didn't even see it. So what was interesting is that then I got into my new role and I moved up, we moved up to uh, Spokane because it happened to be one of the stations that I covered. So if you kind of look at it, what's even more interesting is this is the building that Alyssa and I got married in. So if you follow that literal and God works in funny ways. My brain's very literal. If you follow that path, it's a full circle. So we have come, Alyssa and I and our family, three kids, soon to be four, we have come completely full circle. And through that process, I really have learned a lot about thankfulness, joy, and contentment. Because naturally, I'm a worrier. I get anxiety, I worry about things. But through this process, through the work of the Holy Spirit, I would say I'm somewhere between contentment. Had little blips of contentment, but mostly right in that realm right now. But it's just been truly an amazing adventure when I'm able to take time, reflect on what God has done in our lives, and it's pretty cool to see the process. So, all right, next up is uh, Brian. All right, so um, I'm going to be reading from Luke 11. Um, this story is just kind of commonly called, called the uh, Ten Lepers. So uh, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, 
saying, and gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were there not ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. You, <clears throat> your faith has healed you. So there's quite a few of in here, quite a few of you in here that uh, know me, but for those who don't, um, I have been going to school for a career that I was told I would get almost nine years ago now. Um, back in 2010, God gave me a word that I would become a PA, which is a physician assistant. So lots of schooling, something I've always hated. Um, but I started down that road, took prereqs, did what I was supposed to do, found out prereqs were not adequate, had to take more, um, actually applied once and then was denied. Uh, so long, long road. Eventually, six years later, I made it into school. Um, then that's kind of when the work starts. So three years of that, I had graduated in August, uh, August 16th of this year. And I thought, okay, I get to take my test right away. This is great. Nope, I had to wait two and a half weeks just to take my test. All right, fine, that's, that's what we're doing. So show up to my test on the day of my test. And because of a bonehead mistake, my driver's license had um, expired. So I couldn't take the test. Got a little stressed out, but um, signed up for the next testing day, two weeks more. All right, fine, I'll just study more, that's good. Um, eventually, I did take my test, I passed my test. Then I found out afterwards that it's another 12-ish weeks to get licensed. Um, so, long story short, God's kind of been teaching me things through this waiting, and, and when Zach asked me to talk about this, I don't know, I, I didn't know why at the time, but God kind of put the 10 lepers story right on my heart. And uh, as I was studying it, I kind of, I looked at a few things that really popped out. And um, the big question was, and it's a question I've always asked myself, is why didn't the other nine go back? The Bible doesn't talk about it. Um, it's kind of a detail that just gets passed over. But my thought was, is, well, maybe they were forgetful. I know I get forgetful all the time. Nine years of working at something can make you forgetful. Can you make you focus on the blessing that you're looking for? Um, I, kinda, I did a little research on leprosy, and they, they say that it's an average of five to 20 years before a leper even goes in for treatment because it's such an underlying problem that they don't even realize they have it. So um, that's a long time to deal with something that is very uncomfortable and very... <clears throat> um, very life-changing. Then, then after you get diagnosed, it's another 12 months of treatment. So this is a long-term thing. So maybe these lepers have just been living with this for so long that when they finally got healed, they just forgot. They were so happy to get the blessing that they just forgot. Um, maybe they were so fixated on being obedient to Jesus, to going to the priest, that they forgot to turn around when they had noticed. They just, I have a job to do. It's hard work. It's like the work of being in school, forgetting what you're supposed to be doing or, or being so busy doing what you're supposed to that you forget to have a relationship and be thankful. Um, I thought about maybe, maybe they felt entitled. Maybe they thought, you know what? I've been dealing with this for so long. It's my right to be healed. I, I deserve this just like everybody else. 
Again, it goes back to the hard work of school. Um, you think, you get to the end and you think, well, I did this, I worked at this, I earned this. When in actuality, it was God's grace that gave me the abilities to get into school, to work hard through school, to be successful and still maintain a family life through school. So I thought, okay, well, maybe it took effort. They were already on their way. Uh, Jesus told them to go to the priest. So they had, it says in uh, verse 14 that they were on their way to see the priest when they realized they were healed. So maybe they thought, ah, I'm already almost there. I'm just going to go get um, the blessing of being healed. Or maybe they said, I'll do it later. I'm, I'm most of the way there. I'll do it later. And they just got distracted. Uh, I know that, that for me, these are all the things that have always gotten in the way of me showing thankfulness and remembering to be thankful. I, then I kind of started to think about why the story was touched on. And um, I noticed at the very end, he sa Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And I thought that was kind of interesting because earlier it says that they were already healed. So it, the question was kind of going back and forth in my, in my mind of why it said he was made well when we already knew he was made well. Well, as I was reading, uh, I went across or I ran across the CSB version, and it says, your faith has saved you. And that kind of impacted me, realizing that having faith and being thankful not just give us our physical blessings, they haven't for me, but they've given me this emotional strength, this emotional fortitude, looking back on everything that God has done for me, and um, just remembering to be thankful and knowing that what he's done in the past, he'll do in the future. And um, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So I've really been kind of mulling this over and I've come across just what I'm gonna do for me is continually thank God for the small things. You know, Spencer talked about all the things that we come up, that we take for granted. Um, Sarah talked about once you start being thankful that it really snowballs and you, you start realizing like, I have shoes. I don't have to have a pokey bicycle pedal in my foot. Like these are things that we take for granted. And um, so I've been on this journey of trying to be thankful in the, the smallest things, even ridiculously small things. And then uh, last Wednesday, I found out that I got my license. So, It's a, it's been a long journey, but this is kind of, this standing up here right now has been like, it's been one of those moments where I get to say loudly to God, thank you, and humble myself and, and say that I couldn't have done it without him. <laughs> he has made that clear time and time again. But uh, yeah, I warned you I was going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Zach's next, and I think he's closing us out. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> well, we've got a little bit of time left. Turn to Psalm 95. I don't know if what I have to say is for everyone this morning, but this is just something that I've been wrestling with over this season, and... Um, and yeah, it might not really 
you might walk away from this going, you know, I just really don't feel that way, but that's okay. Um, and this, 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 this thought process of mine started a number of months ago. I was listening to a podcast uh, with uh, the host of the podcast is a theologian from Idaho, from Boise. And uh, he was speaking with a, a pastor from the back east. And kind of the hallmark of this pastor's ministry is that he oversees the largest multi-ethnic church in the country. Uh, there is, uh, there are African Americans and Caucasians, and, and there's an Asian population and Hispanic people, and they're all. It's a very well mixed congregation. And they were talking about about race and racial reconciliation, and and this pastor was talking about how the gospel is incredibly focused on this idea of the the two people that otherwise would have nothing in common becoming one under the cross of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 and Galatians 3 and 1 Peter 2 all talk about how the power of the gospel is to unite people who are um, enemies, to break down walls. And I was listening to this podcast, and, the, and I love that the guy that hosts this podcast is from Idaho because he asks great Idaho questions. And he said, okay, so I live in Boise, and there's like point." 1% black people in Boise. So how do, how do I, if this is an important uh, part of the, what the gospel is, how do I practice this in my city? And this pastor who's, um, he, he responded, he says, you know, my wife was born in Kalispell, Montana, and her whole family lives in your neck of the woods, he said. And, and we go back there to visit. And he said, one of the things that I have recognized about this area of the country that doesn't have a lot of traditional minority um, representation is that the Native American population is a group of people that are very often neglected and forgotten about. And the church in your neck of the woods has this opportunity to reach out and practice racial reconciliation with Native people. And so I just started thinking about this, and I have very little framework uh, for even this issue, and, and so I've just been um, kind of contemplating. I followed some Native American voices on Twitter, and through doing that, coming into this Thanksgiving season, I heard a very different set of Thanksgiving stories. And I come to find out that for many Native people, the Thanksgiving holiday is a time of remembrance and mourning. And I never really thought about that before. And so then I started digging around and, 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 and learning a little bit more about Thanksgiving and, and how like the, you know, the pilgrims and the Mayflower and the friendly Indian Squanto and just all of that stuff that you, you read about and, and, and see in, in children's plays. And there's some details to that that are just a little bit darker than what we typically typically see. Like the pilgrims arrived in Massachusetts at this village that had been abandoned because the people that lived there had been killed about 10 years before by a disease that was brought over by rats from European boats. And they were all dead. But then this Native American named Squanto, who spoke perfect English, shows up. And the reason he spoke perfect English is because a number of years before that, he had been kidnapped and sold as a slave in Europe. He'd later been freed and he'd returned back to his village and found that everyone in his village was dead, except for him. And so he helps the pilgrims farm, and he's, he's really a savior to them because they would have probably all died if they hadn't learned how to deal with 
the native crops. But then you find out that they, they made this treaty with the Native Americans, but it doesn't last for very long because the European settlers end up breaking it. And this begins this whole study of how the United States has really terribly harmed Native people for hundreds of years. And I just don't have any frame of reference for that, uh, being a Caucasian man. My family's from the South, but I don't really identify with Southerners, so I don't even have the whole, like, we lost the Civil War baggage. My people were at the top of their game in the 1700s, expanding all around the world. My people are Americans. We're the greatest country on Earth. And just this whole perspective of other people that might feel depressed around Thanksgiving really started to eat at me. And a couple things come to mind immediately. And, and the first thing is that, that I'm not to blame. I don't have guilt for the sins of people in the past. The Bible is very clear that we are responsible for our own sin and that God doesn't hold the sins of our ancestors against us. And it also comes to mind that for everything that has happened in the history of our nation, there are so many amazing, wonderful blessings that the American experiment is responsible for. And people all around the world of every nationality have benefited greatly from the presence of the United States in the world. And so God has worked through history in powerful ways, but it keeps nagging at me that like, wow, it seems weird to just like throw a party every year when there's these other people that, are, that have the same history but feel so differently about it. And so that's where we get to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 was written um, for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles for the Jewish people is this, this time where they celebrate the wilderness. So the people of Israel, led by Moses, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they got miraculously fed by manna from heaven. Their the Deuteronomy says their shoes didn't wear out that God was constantly providing for them. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody in Israel sleeps in a tent for a week. They all go camping for a week to remind themselves about how they used to live in tents in the wilderness. And Psalm 95 says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hands and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, he made it. His hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. And so, the psalmist could have stopped the psalm right there. 
And the Feast of Tabernacles is this opportunity to joyfully remember the blessings of the Lord on our ancestors. And God was so faithful to the people in the wilderness. Uh, Derek Kidner on his uh, Psalms commentary says, the people of Israel were doubtless tempted to romanticize the wilderness as an idyllic age to look back on this time where God was so good and his, he, was, he blessed his people so greatly. But then the, the psalmist doesn't let us do that, doesn't let the people of Israel do that because he says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. And then it's like he just throws poetic rules out the window and goes, completely changes the subject. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. That really makes this psalm kind of a bummer at the end. It started out really great and upbeat and fun and rejoicing in the Lord and his goodness. And then it ends like, I was disgusted by those people, God says. So it's this opportunity for the people of Israel to celebrate the goodness of God, but also remember the whole reason they were in the wilderness is because they didn't believe the Lord. They didn't trust God. God said, go into the promised land and take it. It's yours. And they said, no, we're going to die. We don't trust you to protect us. And so God said, okay, I love you. I care about you. But since you won't trust me, you're going to walk in circles in the desert until you all die. And your children are going to enter the promised land. And he miraculously cared for these people. He fed them and he gave them water and he kept their clothes going. But the whole purpose of the wilderness experience was to just kill them all off because they were disbelieving wicked people. And Psalm 95 shows us how we can both rejoice and be thankful in the goodness of God, but still soberly hold to the reality that our past isn't always awesome. And I wonder if we should be people that are able to celebrate in this season the same way, to where we can look out at our lives and see God's blessing, to where we can look to our past and see God's blessing in shaping the um, the people in Europe and their religious convictions and bringing them to this continent and the birth of the United States and the good that the United States has had in our own lives and throughout the world. But at the same time, resist the temptation to sugarcoat the past and, and make it idyllic and make the pilgrims the heroes unequivocally and make America always the good guy. Because the truth is sometimes, I was reading this week, accounts from pastors that the best way to bring God to the United States is to kill the savages. And that's horrifying. 
And Psalm 95 is a reminder to the people of Israel not to be like their ancestors. Even if God was in the midst and blessing, the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not be like them. And my hope is that our hearts would be different than the hearts of our ancestors. Even if we can look back and say, wow, the the position of privilege that we've been given is great, and it is a blessing from the Lord. Can we still be people that recognize some of that stuff was messed up, and we need to chart a different course? The author of Hebrews picks up on Psalm 95 in Hebrews chapter 4. And he's talking about rest because the psalmist says, those people did not enter my rest. And in chapter three and four of Hebrews, the author is talking about rest and he's saying, you know what real rest is? Jesus is our real rest. And he says in verse six of chapter four, since it remains for some to enter it, the rest And those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. He again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the people who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And what the author of Hebrews is urging us to is to enter into the true rest, the rest that is Jesus. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Um, Let me turn there so I quote it correctly. Chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the people of Israel are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They're sleeping in tents with their family. They're having a good time. They're remembering the goodness of the Lord. But they're not allowed to forget the sin in their midst of their people. And there's a warning in Psalm 95 is don't be like them. And the author of Hebrews says this rest, this rest is ultimately Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us rest. Entering into Jesus provides rest. And then Jesus himself says, come to me and I will give you rest. And I, what, what it strikes me in this season is that our thankfulness ultimately is in Christ. 
The fact that Jesus is Lord, the fact that he is king, that he is the provider, that even in the midst of stuff that is really messed up, he is working. And that it's okay for us to, on the one hand, rejoice in his blessings, rejoice in his goodness, be thankful for everything we've received, but at the same time recognize we want to follow him more closely than the people who have gone before us when they have failed. Because they didn't all fail. There's, there's amazing stories of faithfulness to the gospel in our country's history as well. But the psalmist is hoping that the people of Israel look soberly and accurately at their past and use it to inform their future. See that thing that happened back there? Even though God was there, even though God blesses, that thing was wrong. And learn from that and change and be different. Because God's blessings are new every morning. And we, every day we have something new to be thankful for. And we have the opportunity in Christ to walk a different way. And so just as we close, my encouragement to all of us is that we would be uh, that we wouldn't be prone to idolizing the past, especially in a, in a season that, that wants us to. It wants to look back and say, everything was great back then, when everything wasn't always that awesome. But instead of idolizing the past, we would worship our Savior who is sovereign over it. And that we would lean in to the rest that Jesus provides us. Being in Christ is this metaphor throughout Scripture. And this is one of the things that we celebrate in the communion meal. And we, we take the bread and we take the cup into our bodies as a symbol that he is inside us and we are one and his spirit is working in us. And so that's the opportunity we have today as we do every week to symbolize our communion with Christ through the bread and the cup. And we're going to sing a couple songs and I would just encourage you to reflect on all of the ways that we have the opportunity to be thankful. And thank you so much to everyone that had the courage to come up here and speak. I know that's scary for a lot of you. It was awesome. But let's pray and let's, let's worship a little bit. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.